All right. Are you ready for God's word today? We're going to dive in together. I am going to try to, to get there faster. Uh, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And I don't, I don't know about you, and I'll probably share this if you've heard this from me before, but the messages that I struggle the most on are always holiday messages. And I don't know if it's because there's an expectation. Like, I don't know how many different ways you can explain Christmas. You know, I was raised in church. I've, I've preached a lot of Christmas messages. It's kind of like when we come to Easter. I don't know how many different ways. I mean, it's kind of like everybody shows up, spoiler alert, the tomb's empty, you know, and you got to try to tell them something they didn't know. And I think sometimes that all gets up in my head. And, and so usually I'm, how many are an overthinker? You know what it is to overthink things? Yes, this is my spiritual gift. And I can overthink everything. Everything. I'm good at overthinking. And so, uh, so, but, so usually that's how it is with holiday messages. But this year, what was so cool is a couple months ago, God gave me this message. And, and I knew it was for today, so I'm not really in a series. I just have a message this week and a message next week um, that are just things that God put on my heart. Um, but God gave me the message, and it's not maybe the normal Christmas. <laughs> it may shock you. It's probably not the normal Christmas message. <laughs> As if anything, I, one thing I've never been accused of, being normal, you know. Um, but it is actually, in fact, all about Christmas Categorically, right? And uh, and so I want to I want to talk about um, today. I want to talk about really what what the meaning of this season, like what Christmas meant and means. Which I mean, I know right now you're thinking, oh, it's good tidings of great joy, or it's peace on earth, goodwill to me, and and yes, but I'm going to go all the way back to what it, what it really means. And because it means this, all those things apply, but we're going to focus on really primarily what this season is about and what it really means. And so we're in Matthew chapter one, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So let me just explain. They did weddings a little different than us in that there was a commitment ceremony. And then that's where the engagement started. And then there was about a year of preparation before there was actually the, the final, you know, rose ceremony, <laughs> the final ceremony. And uh, if y'all know what that is, shame on you. <laughs> bachelor watching The Bachelor. I caught you and you didn't even know it. You're like, hey, hey. you stop watching that. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um, so the final rose ceremony. Anyways, then there was the final ceremony and the consummation of the marriage, et cetera. So they're in that, they're in that year time. And so it says, his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Yes, I feel the same way, sister. When I get hungry, I just, I make those same noises. <laughs> so it says, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So it had been technically categorized as a divorce, but... While he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he said, she will bear a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um, I went through about 20 titles and in, ended up even changing my title this morning because um, trying to figure out what to, what to call the message. And, um, and I really just kind of settled on the question that I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me to ask every person that gathered, whether you're online or you're in the room, every person that gathered. And, and so I made it the title. And this is the question. Have you been saved. It's kind of how it went over in the night. <laughs> That's a Christmas. Martha gets you first, yeah. Ethel, <laughs> have you been saved? Um, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time, and we don't want to miss anything that you want to tell us. And God, today, I really believe you're asking us all a question 
And through this question, you're asking us to examine our own lives, to examine our own hearts. And I pray, God, that no person under the sound of my voice would miss this opportunity because it is truly your grace and mercy. Um, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Names, I don't know if you know this, names, names mean a lot. Um, and when you start selecting names, like you're selecting names for your kids, you know, you get all the baby books with all the popular names and that kind of thing. And, and then you look at what the different names can, can mean. And, you know, I remember when we were naming the first, my, my first son, his name is uh, Luke Preston. And Luke is bearer of light and Preston is priestly. So he is like the holiest name you can give a child. Um, and you know, um, and then with our other kids like Mariah's God is my teacher. And then with Briggs, Briggs just means wild thing. And, um, <laughs> and so no, I was just kidding. If you know, Briggs, he is my most calculated child. Like he is not wild in any way. He's very calculated, very scheduled, very planned. Um, but, uh, he was actually named for my grandfather who was very meaningful to us. His, his name was not really a name. His name was HB. So what people don't know about Briggs, his name is actually Hudson Briggs. Uh, we call him Briggs, but his name is Hudson Briggs, but he was named after my grandfather who was a pastor. And that was very, that was meaningful to all of us. And, and so, you know, names have a lot of meaning, unless you're a celebrity and then you name your kid Apple or North or something like that. Um, and if you're, if, if you named your children Apple and North, I think those are great names, you know. Some people for, prefer biblical names like John and Matthew and Obadiah, you know, <laughs> or Jezebel. I don't know. But anyways, they prefer biblical names um, because they're significant. Names are, are, I think they really are significant. And when we, when we look at God, when we study his word, God gives us a lot of names that he, he calls himself. Like if you study the Old Testament, he is El Shaddai. Like the, he is the all-sufficient God. He is Elohim, you know. And, and then there are even like Jehovah. And, and, what, and then there are the Jehovah, what we know is the Jehovah names of God, which is like, you know, Jehovah Rapha means God is my healer. Jehovah Jireh means God is my provider. Jehovah Nisi means he is the banner over me. Like they're the, the names of God. So God reveals himself in his names. And there is no greater revelation and there is no greater power or, or no, a more, more powerful name uh, of God given than I think we find right here in Matthew when it says, and Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. Like I'm not leaving this up to creativity, Google, or a name book. I want to make sure we get his name right because his name expresses his mission. You will call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. Now, Jesus um, was somewhat, would have been a common name. He wasn't the only person named Jesus, right? Um, but it, it, it meant a lot. In fact, it was a derivative of, of, of a name we see in the Old Testament, Joshua. A lot of people know Joshua because of Jericho. There are actually two Joshuas in the Old Testament. There was Joshua who was... Um, uh, Moses' predecessor who took over after Moses and led Israel across the Jordan into the promised land, right? And then there was another Joshua you can read about in Haggai and Zechariah, but he actually led Israel out from captivity in Babylon. He led them back to the promised land to build the temple again or back to Jerusalem to build the temple again. And so both Joshua's, they did the same thing. They led people, they brought deliverance, delivered them out of right? Egypt or Babylon, the world, and brought them into the promise of God. And Joshua, in fact, the first Joshua, his name wasn't Joshua when he started out. Um, his name, and let me make sure I don't say this wrong. Yeah. His name was Hoshea. And Hoshea just means salvation. But Moses actually renamed him and he put the Jah for Jehovah. So it became Jehoshea, um, which was shortened to Joshua, but it means Jehovah saves or God's salvation. When we fast forward, we get to Jesus, his name in the Hebrew would be Yeshua, Yeshua, which is to put Yahweh and, you know, Joshua to, essentially together. And what it actually means is, I am God, your salvation. So his name actually means. It kind of makes me laugh because all the religious people and all the non-religious people who didn't believe in him, if they said his name, they're saying, I don't believe in you, the God of my salvation. I just like the irony of that, right? But that's what his name was. I am God, your salvation. And so when we're talking about Christmas, 
Christmas was, was, was not the promise of a holiday, right? Like there are people that are not in church today because it's Christmas. Let me say another one. There, there are Christians that are not in church today because it's Christmas. And, and maybe they have great excuses, but I'm like, this is the time or great reasons. This is the time everyone should flock to church because it's not the promise of a holiday. It's the promise of a holy one. It isn't the gift of a vacation. It's the gift of salvation. Are, are you with me? This is the meaning. Like, what does Christmas mean? And I know a lot of times at Christmas, and I've, I preach these sermons because they're good sermons. They mean a lot. But, you know, like peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's wonderful this time of year. Peace, right? Um, you know, joy, joy to the world. You know, oh, you boys and girls. You know, I don't know. That wasn't very good, but. It was like Mariah and Carrie and Elvis had a baby all of a sudden. And that was weird. Anyways, but, but, um, but you have to understand that all of those things that we really love or want to talk about are the things we need. Like there are probably people in this room or watching online, you're like, I need some peace. Like if you live in this world, you need peace. And I'll tell you the type of peace you need is the only peace that comes from Jesus. Because you need peace that passes understanding because everything we understand about this world is not peaceful. Whether your drug is CNN or Fox News, it is not peaceful. But you need to understand that the peace we need and the joy we want and the good tidings and the goodwill and all of that, do you know why you can have all of that? Because salvation, he will save his people. See, without God, peace is circumstantial. But with God, peace is providential. Like the reason you have peace is you've been saved. The reason you have joy is because you've been saved. The reason you know God's good will towards you is because you have been saved. And, and so many times we, we want, you know, and we talk about all of these things that are important, that matter, that we need. But if you really want to talk about the reason, if you really want to talk about what this season means, if you really want to know how you and why you can have peace and joy, it's because he sent a Savior. And it is in salvation that you can experience everything else. Um, I brought a prop today. Do y'all like when I bring props? They're fun. Um, they give me something to play with while I talk to y'all. And because I'm like, you know, ADD, kinesthetic and all that, it just helps me, right? Um, <laughs> Um, but when I read this verse, I thought about it a little bit differently than I'd ever thought about it because it says, you will call his name Jesus because or for he will save his people from their sin. And I thought about what that actually implies. Like this verse implies some things. It implies number one, that somebody needs to be saved. Like you will call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save people. In other words, there are people who need to be saved. So it implies we need saving. Like you cannot get saved until you realize you need to be saved. Fundamental, right? So it implies that we need saving. It also implies that we were unable to save ourselves. Right? If we could have saved us, he wouldn't have sent Jesus to save us. He would have sent a message that said, save yourselves. Right? He wouldn't have sent Jesus, he'd send an angel. And the angel would have proclaimed, I am here from God, and God wants you all to save yourselves. Peace be with you. And back to heaven. Right? No, this, this, un, this revelation that we get of Jesus before his birth in his name implies we needed to be saved. We were unable to save ourselves. So God had to send something or someone to save us. We needed a savior. And I started thinking, I'm like, think about a drowning person. A drowning person needs to be saved. A drowning person knows they're drowning. Bro, you're drowning, just doing a backstroke. Like, what's going on? <laughs> No, we hear the help, help, you know, that's how we know. And I saw this as like, here's God. He's like, everybody is going to drown. They are unable to save themselves. 
I will send something. I will send someone to save them. And this is what is inferred in this verse. That whether you know it or not, because there's a lot of people, I think, in church and especially outside of church that haven't figured out they're drowning yet. They think it's normal. Say, hey, how how you doing? They think that's normal. They haven't figured out they're drowning. But what he's implying is, I'm going to put that right there on the USS Pathway. (laughs) But what he's implying is people are drowning and they can't save themselves and they need a Savior. To to understand salvation, and I'm going to go through this kind of quick. You may have to go back and re-listen. But I want you to understand that, that when we talk about salvation, salvation is past tense, present tense, and future tense. Like when we're really trying, if you're really trying to understand salvation... Is past, present, and future. Uh, let me explain it really quickly. Salvation is past tense. We, w- when we come to faith in Jesus and we place our faith in Jesus and we say, hey, I'm drowning. I can't save myself. Will you save me? And, and we are saved by his grace. There's a biblical word for the past tense work that is immediate and perfect in that moment. And the biblical word is justification. And what happens when you receive Christ in that moment you, you receive forgiveness of sin, right? Your guilt is removed and you receive the gift of righteousness. So that's what happens when, when you are justified. Justified, if you want an easy way, just as if I'd justified, just as if I'd never sin, right? So when I come to Christ and I place my faith in him and trust him, I'm drowning, can't help myself, need a savior. Lord, you're my savior. I'm going to trust in you. We are, just, we are saved. That's what we say. We are saved. Well, what happened? Well, I was forgiven. My guilt was removed and I was given the gift of righteousness. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says, he who knew no sin became sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. My sin was imputed to him. His righteousness was imputed or transferred to me. And I was saved. Are you with me? Then then salvation is present tense, meaning that now I am being saved. Let me give you a verse. 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are, look at this, being saved. No, it is the very power of God. We who are being saved. So this is what Paul, Paul's like, hey, you've been justified and now you're being saved. So, so what does this mean? There's a biblical word for this. It's called sanctification. And sanctification is where I am overcoming the power or I've been delivered from the power of sin. So in justification, I forgot to tell you this, in justification, right, I am saved. What am I saved? This is another thing. When I'm saved, I need to know what I'm saved from. A drowning person knows they were saved from drowning, right? So if, I am, if, I'm, if I'm saved, this is my, what were you saved from? Well, we were saved from the penalty of sin. So justification, where I'm you know, made righteous, where I'm forgiven, where my, my guilt is taken, justification saves me from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Judgment and wrath. That's what you have to understand. People are like, well, I can't believe that God's so judgmental. No, no, here's what you understand. Everyone, God, it's not that God's one day going to judge you. He is technically. All he is going to do actually is God ratifies the judgment that you're already under. If you have not received Christ, you're already under judgment. It's just there's a day where you get the full weight of it. Are you with me? So what, 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 we're, what we understand is when I've been saved, right, and made right, guilt gone, forgiven, I'm saved from the penalty or eternal damnation. So I've been saved from. But now when we talk about being saved and being saved, this is sanctification. Now I'm being saved from the power of sin. So that was the penalty of sin, but now I'm being saved from the power of sin. Romans 6.14 says, sin no longer has power over me or dominion over me because I'm not under law, but under grace. So the old covenant was a covenant of law. And I know this, and I know you're sitting here like, we didn't want to go to Bible school. You actually need to know this, but I'm trying to make it as user-friendly as I can. All right. But the old covenant was, we were under law and the law gives power to sin. Paul said, the strength of sin is the law. So when we're under law, sin has a hold on us. So in faith in Jesus, we're then 
brought into a new covenant where we're not under law, but under grace. So now grace gives us power to choose. So sanctification is the process of choosing righteousness over unrighteousness, choosing life over death. Are you with me? So what does sanctification look like? Let me give you one word. Change. All right? So I have been saved, justification, being saved, transformation, will be saved, glorification. This is saved, that was saved from the penalty, saved from the power. This is saved from the presence of sin, right? This is where Paul says our, 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 our corruption will put on incorruption. Our mortality will put on immortality. Like we don't know what we should be because we haven't seen him. But when he appears, we will know what we will be because we will be like him. This is the, this is the end. This is the separation, if you will, where we are made just we're made new, new bodies and new bodies without flesh means sin. We are delivered from the presence of sin, right? So we're delivered from penalty, delivered from power, delivered from the presence of sin. So that's what salvation looks like. So I'm saved from, I'm being saved and I will be saved. So with that, the question that I have for you, the question that I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask you is have you been saved? Well, how do I know if I've been saved? That's what we're going to talk about. So, so I have, I have some, um, I have some scary scriptures. Are y'all okay with scary scriptures? Right. I have some scary scriptures, and um, I'm going to share those with you, and we're going to have fun. Oh, I forgot. Merry Christmas. I felt like it, it may not, this is the most Christmas message you could actually get, but it may not feel Christmassy. So if I just say Merry Christmas several times throughout the message, it will remind you that I know it's Christmas and that this is supposed to be a Christmas message. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, he tells the Corinthians, now he's talking to church people, the Corinthians, and he says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Isn't that interesting? He's talking to church people. And here's what he said. I want you to do, I want you to open an investigation on yourself and see if you can prove yourself to be a Christian. It's like one person said, if we were to put you on trial for being a Christian, would we be able to find enough evidence to convict you or not? And it's pretty much what Paul tells the Corinthians. Now they were a church, but they were screwed up. They were almost as screwed up as us. That was actually a pretty good joke. <laughs> and so Matthew seven thirteen, and then I promise, it's a long introduction. The points aren't that long, I promise. Matthew seven thirteen says, now this is the words of Jesus. Check this out. Enter by the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow. narrow. For the gate is wide. Everybody say wide. And the way is easy. Everybody say easy. That leads to destruction. Everybody say destruction. I, I don't know how people arrive at the idea that there is no eternal damnation in hell. I think it's a really convenient belief system with a very rude awakening. Because let me help you. Jesus talked more about hell than heaven. And if you proclaim to be a Christian, you have faith in Jesus and you believe he's God, so he can't be a liar. So if he talked about hell and, and you're like, but there is no hell, you're going to have to reconcile whether you believe in him or whether you don't. Are you with me? And if he said there is a hell and there's not one, you shouldn't believe in him. He's a liar. And if he said there's a hell and there's not one, you shouldn't believe in him because you know more than him. That went over well. Uh, Mer hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and it says, in those, he said, it leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Everybody say many. many. Now watch this. For the gate is narrow. Everybody say narrow. Yeah. And the way is hard. Everybody say hard. hard. That leads to life. You did good. I didn't even have to tell you. Some people were like, no, I've caught on, pastor. I'm with you. 
Thank you for being with me. Merry Christmas. Um, And those who find it are few. Everybody say few. few. Do you understand what Jesus just said? Let me help you. In in the words of the psalmist ACDC, there is a highway to hell. There is a dirt path to heaven. That's what he said. He said, hey, the way to destruction is wide. It's like 635 around Dallas. There's two, there's the express 635, which you're always going to find this boy on because I ain't going to be in traffic if there's any other way around it. And then there's the other, like I will pay the money to go faster. Right? Come on, Ricky Bobby. If you ain't first, you're last. Okay. My mom going fast. All right. Anyways, how did that get in my Christmas message? (laughs) ADD is a blessing and a curse. But here's what he said. There is a highway. It is wide and it is easy. Everybody say easy. It is easy to go to hell. There's a wide path that goes to hell. And there are many people on the freeway or the highway to hell. Case in point, if you find yourself with a lot of traffic going really fast in the wrong direction, you're on the highway, not the dirt trail. If your life looks like everybody else who doesn't go to church, Here's what's scary about this. Here's what Jesus said. The way to hell is easy. It's a big, wide freeway. It's asphalt. It's like the Autobahn. You can go there as fast as you want to go with as many people as you want to go. But here's what he said. There's going to be more people on the freeway than on the dirt trail. Few are on the dirt trail. Many are on the freeway. You know why? Because the dirt trail is narrow and it's hard. You know, my concern about, honestly, I'm, I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming pastors. We've tried to make a highway to heaven and a dirt trail to hell. Because we just, like, oh, it's okay. No, you don't have to change. No, you don't have to get the sin out of your life. Jesus paid for your sin. So enjoy your sin. Just raise your hand and sign a card and put faith in him. Because there's a highway to heaven. But I want to remind you, ACDC was, they were preaching the gospel in a weird and twisted way when they were singing highway to hell. Because there's a highway to hell. The highway doesn't go to heaven. The highway goes to hell. And don't confuse yourself to say, I look like everybody else. I'm doing the same things as everybody else. I'm acting the way as I'm partaking. I'm involved, but yet I'm on the dirt path to heaven. No, you're on the highway to hell. Let, let me read you another fun verse. Oh, oh wait, wait. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Matthew 7, <laughs> verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But by the way, it's the words of Jesus. But the one who does the will of my father is the one who is in heaven. On that day, he's talking about the end, judgment day, if you will. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do mighty works in your name? And he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, a lot of people, I remember growing up, and people would preach this, and they're like, these are backslidden saints. They, they, they said, Lord, Lord, and, and they knew the Lord, and then, they, and then they, what we had a term called backsliding, which is a real thing. That's where you used to be close to Jesus, but now you're not. Where you used to think sin was bad, now you found a way to justify it. That's, it's backsliding. It's to slide backwards, and it's a slow fade. It's never fast. But one day you wake up and you're like, where did Jesus go? And he's like, I'm in the same spot. You've been sliding backwards for a while. That's why God, it's in the Bible. God actually spoke to Israel and said, I will forgive your backslidings. I will love you freely. By the way, this was never even considered in my message. So I'm actually talking to somebody in this room or on this camera right now that you used to be close from the Lord and you have slid back. You've made allowance and compromise and open yourself up to sin. And God's saying, I will forgive your backsliding. I will love you freely, but you're going to have to come back. I'm not going to come to you. You're going to have to come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. All right. Are you with me? 
But, but here's, here's what it said. It said, not everybody says, Lord, Lord. And some of you say, well, we're talking about backslide. No, no, no. Because he said, I never knew you. Never. Not I knew you and then I forgot you. Not I thought I knew you. I never. Do you know what this is? You know what's scary? And, and he uses the word, look at this, this is so it's freaky. Like, I want to do a, a series on scary scriptures for Halloween. Because verse, 20, verse 22 says, on that day, many will say. Here's what he's saying. Now think about this. He's talking to people who made a declaration, your Lord. And then they did churchy things. Like joined a serve team. Led a life group. Was on the worship team. Maybe they even got in the baptism tank. They did churchy things. And here's what he's saying. I'm sorry, I never knew you. And he uses the phrase in verse 22, there will be many. Here's my concern. He's talking about church people. How many church people do we have who think they are saved? Probably, probably because a, a pastor or a leader did not actually tell them the truth. And they made, they made the highway to heaven for everybody. And they never said, no, there's a narrow path and it's hard because it is a path of giving up and denying flesh and sacrificing. And as Paul said, those who have this hope purify themselves. And then I thought, well, how many outside of the church? They don't have a chance. He said, there's many, many. So here, here's what I want to talk about. Have you been saved? Well, let's take a test together. Four R's. Are you ready? Four R's. These are my four points. We have R points today. <laughs> That's Spanish. I'm not trying to be creepy. Ruffles have ridges. Did y'all not grow up with these commercials? In Spanish, you always roll your R, and that's the only thing really. I couldn't do Spanish because I have East Texas accent, like, como se llama. <laughs> but, man, you give me a word with R's in my, I got you. This is terrible. Anyways, <laughs> number one, write this down. Realize, realize a drowning person typically doesn't have to be told they're drowning. But sometimes it could help. Like you have to realize that you need saving. Remember what I said was implied? You should call his name Jesus. I have to realize. Look, look at 2 Corinthians 7.10. It, it says, look at this, because this is one of the fruits of realizing. Like remember, we're taking a test. But 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. What produces repentance that leads to salvation? Godly sorrow. But the sorrow of this world produces death. Look at that. Godly sorrow. This is one of the ways we know we're drowning. Sorrow. I, I think the reason so, many, so few people sometimes, are, I think the reason a lot of people don't come to Jesus, maybe that's a good way to say it, there are people who won't come to Jesus, is because they don't know they're, they're drowning. And part of the reason they don't know they're drowning, because unfortunately a lot of pastors, we, keep, we just keep telling you you're okay. Because we don't want you to get offended or leave the church. We'd rather you end up in hell than leave the church, you know? That was sarcasm, by the way. I didn't really mean that, obviously. I mean, I want to make sure, you know, my YouTube video gets likes. Well, I can't say really pointed, convicting things. I just need to tell you you're okay. I think the pressure of fame has robbed many a ministers the power and anointing that's on their life. Lucky for me, I'm not famous. <laughs> Unfortunately for you, I got nothing to lose here. <laughs> but godly sorrow. So here's my question. Was there a moment when you realized, I am drowning and I am so sorry, Jesus? I'll tell you this story. It's a fun story in my life. I don't remember how old I was, but I was, I was a little guy. Well, let's be honest. I was never little. I was littler. <laughs> um, but I don't know. We made seven or eight, and we went to, um, I think it's called Whitewater. Yeah, it was the old water park in Dallas. I don't think it's there anymore. Anyways, 
Mom and dad took us. And you gotta know me, I love water. Like does anybody like a beach, you give me a beach, you give me a pool, you give me a lake, give me a river. You know what I'm saying? Not the Sabine, but like, you know, <laughs> not the Red River. But one of those, like, you know, in the mountains, you know, one of those clear rivers, you know, that you're not sure. There's a lot of, yeah. Anyways, the point is, where are my water people? Let's just, my water people, thank you. Okay, yes, I'm into that. All right, so, um, so first time at the water park, I, you know, barely learned to swim, really. And, um, and the first thing we come to is this, is the wave pool. And, and I'd never seen a wave pool and I had no experience with waves. I'd never been in the ocean. I'd barely learned to swim. And my experience with waves was we had a do-it-yourself swimming pool that dad had built, you know, and one of those kits that you buy, they still make these things. And, and my experience with waves was everybody would rock the pool. If we got inner tubes and bounce up and down on the inner tubes, we'd make waves in the pool. And it's like, woo, we got waves. <laughs> Not really, you got splashes. Okay, but anyways... Um, and so to me, I was so anxious to get in. So I, so I just dove in the wave pool while it was going and I dove in the deep end because I ain't about to do something halfway. And, and it was a few seconds after diving in and trying to get my head above water and then trying to get back to the side where the ladder was to get out that I realized I hadn't exactly thought through all of this really well. Because I was drowning and I'd swim as hard as I could to try to get to the ladder and then a wave would hit and knock me back out. And so now I'm going, you know what I'm like? You know what it is? Here's my point. No one had to explain to me I was drowning. I had enough sorrow in the decision that I had made. Are you with me? I was so sorry that I did not receive proper instruction or a flotation device or even wait on a parental being to get in with me. No, I just jumped in the deep end and I was sorry. (laughs) And I realized I need to be saved. And that's the first, the first, the first item on our, on our test. The first question is, hey, I'm trying to figure out how I've been saved. I don't know. Did you ever really realize you needed to be saved? And when you realize that, was there sorrow in your heart for the contempt at which you had lived in the light and the knowledge of understanding the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood and him pouring out his life? Did you get sorrowful that it was your sin that put him on that cross? Were you looking at him and saying, Jesus, I am so sorry you had to do this for me. I am so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry the only way for me to be saved was your blood. I am so sorry for what I've done. Did you realize you need to be saved? And did that, sa- that realization come with an understanding or with a sorrow in your heart? Godly sorrow produces... I think the reason people don't repent, which is the change, is because they're not actually sorry for what they did. Let me help you with something. If if you are saying you're saved and you've never been sorry for what you did, I'm I'm not sure if you're saved. Because what were you saved from if you don't think you did anything bad? Merry Christmas. So here's the second thing, you realize I need to be saved. And then here's the second thing, I repent. And what am I repenting of? I'm repenting of the idea that I could save myself. Because repentance is about changing your mind. See, salvation is a thing of the heart, but you can't change your heart. But God can't change your mind. So in order to get saved, I have to change my mind so God can change my heart. And I have to say, hey, I can't save myself. God, I need you. I need you. Um, Galatians 2.16 says, for, for we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus, not because of obeying the law or what we did or what we're doing. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Or, or we could say it this way, by 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 our own works or effort. 
Remember, I can't save myself. So I have to come to this place to say, I can't save myself. Let me say it another way. What I'm doing doesn't work. Like a drowning person figures out really quickly what I'm doing is not working. Like I know in that wave pool that day, it didn't take long for this revelation to come. Help! I need to be saved. Why? Because what I'm doing is not working. I almost get to the ladder and a wave slaps me in the head again and moves me back out there and takes me under. And then I almost get to the ladder and then I'm back out. And then I, help! Like I, I realized that my effort was going to get me death. The wages of sin is but the free gift of God is eternal life. So, so did I repent to say, hey, the way that I'm living is death. The way that I'm thinking is death. What I'm doing is going to get me to death. My effort, my ability, my strength is going to get me to death. Like when you throw a drowning person, one of these, and they're out there like, ah, right? And you throw them one of these, you know why they latch on to it? Because they know what I'm doing is not working. Because you throw that out there and they're like, no, nah, I think I'm good. I'm just doing a backstroke out here. Just doing a backstroke at my. No, a, a drowning person grabs hold of this because they know what they're doing isn't working. And when they realize what they're doing isn't working, they are ready, here's the third R, to receive salvation. They're ready to receive. They're like, I need a Savior. That's what I came to. Like, I'm going to die right here. And I realize that what I'm doing, like I don't, I thought I was a pretty good swimmer 37 seconds ago. Now I'm convinced I make a better Rick. <laughs> Rick. I don't know who a Rick is. Rick, just God bless you, sir. God bless you. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Rick. This one's for you. Giving you a shout out. <laughs> Someone asked me. Do you plan humor in your messages? I'm like, have you ever listened to me? If there's any of that that sounds planned, even that was an accident. You know what I'm saying? Like, huh. I just realized I make a better brick than a Michael Phelps. Are you with me? And so I realized it's not working. And so, and so then I, I said, I need a savior. Romans 10 says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what I think, and, and I'm going to step on a lot of toes just because I'm good at it. Um, but, okay, we have, we have like in the church, and I know, I understand respect and all that, but a lot of times when we give an altar call for people to come into salvation, we get, you know, everybody bow your head. Everybody close your eyes. We don't want anybody looking around. Now, if you need salvation, slip your hand up, put it down. And when I read the Bible, I just don't see secret agent Christianity. Like if you can't profess Jesus in a church, how are you going to do it in an office? You know what I'm saying? Like, and then, and we've done it here and, and you know this, you've been here. I've done that before, but I've kind of had some conviction around it lately because what I realize, I'm setting you up for failure because if I'm offering you Christianity, that's secret agent Christianity here, and you can't even profess Jesus in a room full of believers, then how in the world are we going to send you out in the world and you profess Jesus out there? Jesus said that, he, he said, if you acknowledge me before men, if you profess me before men, well, the first opportunity you get to profess Jesus before men is right here with everybody looking. Because you know what? I, he who calls on the name of the Lord. Let me tell you, there's a distinct sound you make when you're about to die and you're calling for help. Listen, that day in that pool, I didn't do one of these. I'd have been dead. I said, help! Help me! 
because I had already done the math. I am dying. I cannot save myself. I need help. If I don't get help, I am going to drown. Help! Help! Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? And I just think sometimes, like, if you're coming to Jesus, honestly, and, and there's not a cry in your heart that this is a life or death situation, probably not saved. Because you're not joining a club. Listen, when I was drowning, when, when a man's drowning, he doesn't need a theology. He doesn't need a church membership. He doesn't need a good worship song. <laughs> right? Oh, brother, I see you're drowning. Just, you know, just sing Waymaker, brother. It's going to be all right. Oh, I see you're drowning. Let me explain the doctrine and our tenets of faith, brother. No, no, no. When you're drowning, you don't need a belief system. You don't need a theology. You don't need a worship song. You don't need a sermon because you don't have time. What you need is a savior. When you are drowning, you need a savior. So you don't call out for a doctrine. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm deconstructing my faith. You're going to drown deconstructing your faith. You need, let me help you. You are dying. You can't save yourself. You need a savior. Let me help you. That was me. Help. It's a promise. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus. Then whoever calls on the name of the Lord, I am calling on the name of the Lord. That day, my, the name of the Lord sounded a lot like dad. Because he was there like, dad. Just so you know, obviously I didn't drown. If you were wondering, like, how does this story? I don't know. Did he drown? Or did he not? <laughs> like, like if, you were, if you're confused and you're like, I'm not sure. Did he make it? Oh, dear God, I hope you tell us the rest of the story. I can't go home not knowing whether you drowned or not. <laughs> no, I made it. Luckily, you know. <laughs> Whew, that was close. <laughs> so much suspense in church today. <laughs> my, dad, my dad jumped in and pulled me over to the ladder and I climbed out because I called. <laughs> I, said, I, need, I need help. I need a savior. Look, look at this. John 1.12 says this. It says, but as many as received, received him, those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become sons of God. Receive. See, this is, think about this. If you're drowning and someone throws you this, like, you know, I'm a, okay, I'm over there drowning, but I'm over here because I can't be two places. So I throw this to the drowning man. Okay, now I'm the drowning man. I was in theater. <laughs> ah, I'm drowning. In order for this to work, I have to receive it. It's not enough to say, watch this. It's not enough to say, yep, that's a, that's a life-saving device right there. Sure is. Look, it's all orange and stuff. Yep, that saves people. Those things right there, they save people. I believe that is a life-saving device. I believe that could save a man from drowning. I do. I believe it. I agree with the concept that a drowning man needs something that floats. I agree with that. Good on you. Made it orange so it's easy to find. No, 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 no. If you want to be saved, you have to say, yep, that's for me. I receive that. Now, the only way to receive something is to surrender your will. Because remember, your will was swimming. You have to surrender your will to stop swimming and get a hold of the Savior. Are you with me? Like this is what salvation, I think a lot of people are confused because they think they're saved because they went to church and somebody said, Jesus saves. They're like, yep, Jesus saves. He sure does. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world and them. John 3. 
has the East Texas unabridged version. God so loved the world, Lim. Mm-hmm, sure did. They gave him that salvation. Praise Jesus. <laughs> yep. Yep. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. Sure are. I believe in that stuff. I believe in that Bible. That's good stuff in there. No, no, no. That's, but you're not saved. Just because you agree Jesus saves, just because you agree he has the power to save, just because you understand he was sent to save, that doesn't save you. <clears throat> what saves you is when you stop doing it your way because your way doesn't work and you hold on to him. That's what saves you. When you surrender your way and say, no, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to him. Now, let me go one step farther. Because remember what I said? Salvation is past tense, but it's also present and future. And I think one of the ways we can determine if, we're, if we have been saved, because remember my question is, have you been saved? Is to ask this question, are you being saved? Because sanctification is the fruit of, of justification. Being saved from the power. In other words, living victorious over the power of sin is the proof that you've been delivered from the penalty of sin. So let me give my fourth R. Because remember, it was, it was realize, and then it was repent, and then it was receive. But let me give this fourth R. How do I know I'm saved? Did you remain did you remain? Let me say it another way. Do you have a Lord? Let me give you this promise of Scripture that's actually from the Christmas story. Merry Christmas. Luke 2, 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Look at that. A Savior, but who is the Savior? He's Christ the Lord. I think the greatest misconception in Christianity today and Christian today is that you can have one without the other. The greatest misconception in Christianity today is that you can have a Savior without Him becoming your Lord. But the promise of Scripture was not just a Savior. It was a Lord who saves. His capacity and power to save comes out of the authority he has as a Lord. Let me say it another way. If he is not a Lord, he is not a Savior. You cannot disconnect the Lordship of Jesus from his salvation. The reason he has the power to save is because he is a Lord. So that means I am saved and surrendered to a Lord. I am saved by him by surrendering to him, which means he becomes the Lord of my life and I am no longer the Lord of my life. Let me say this another way. If you are still in charge of your life, you have not been saved. If you are still living the way you want to live, you have not been saved. Because the Holy Spirit does not move in and leave you the same. He comes in like Chip and Joanna Gaines, tearing down walls, painting stuff, chipping up floor. Like it's about to be an extreme home makeover because his job is to conform you to the image of Jesus. So let me help you. Everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus, the things that you do that Jesus wouldn't do, that's the stuff the Holy Spirit is working on. And if he is not at work in your life, he is not in your life because he doesn't come into your life to go on vacation. He comes into your life to bring sanctification. And so here's my problem. I think a lot of people, you know, they kind of looked at this and they said, yep, that's a life-saving device. That's good. But did you ever grab a hold of, better yet, did you ever, did you ever, I don't know, what did I do? I don't know. Did you ever, I broke something. We'll figure that out later. But did you ever get in it? The Bible says we're in Christ. We're in Christ. We remain. We remain in him. Remember how I said if you're being saved, you're being saved from the power of sin? You remember how I said that? Do you know another, another P word I could put in there? You're being saved from the practice of sin. Like if you want to know if you've been saved, 
Just ask yourself, am I practicing sin? Because if I'm okay with practicing sin, I haven't been saved. Can I tell you one of the most horrific things I saw this, this week on the Instabams? That's Instagram for normal people. But mine's an Instabam. Because it's mine, I just named it different because I can. But I was watching, there's this apologist that I, that I follow, and an apologist is just a person that gives defense to the gospel. And um, here's what was scary. He was showing a TikTok video of a minister. Everybody say minister. So someone like me. Like his job is stand before people and preach the gospel. And the minister was taking one word out of the, all the writings of Paul. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Paul wrote the majority of the books of the New, Test, of the New Testament, right? Like a third of the New Testament Paul wrote. Luke wrote like a third. Luke actually used more words. Paul has more books, however you work that out. Anyways, right? So, so, so what I'm saying is there's a plethora of content that Paul wrote, but he's taken one word and he took it apart and I mean eloquently, like I wish I was as smooth talking as this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like I wish everything I said sounded like butter on a hot tortilla. That's what I'm saying. But, and that's what this guy sounded like. And I'll, I'll listen as he explained an alternative lifestyle was really, there was nothing. He was, he was justifying an alternative lifestyle by using one word, a compound word, from the writing of Paul. And he made the conclusion, this is not what Paul meant. The way you've understood it is not what Paul meant. And I was in there like, listen, we have a lot of writings with Paul. So if that's true, then it's congruent with all the writings of Paul. And I can take you to Romans chapter 1 and show you what you just explained is not congruent with what Paul said. So apparently Paul disagrees with Paul. So we should listen to this guy. But here's what I was thinking. Of. I'm like, you know, I know the problem with Christian today. You don't have to be safe from anything because everything's okay. There, there is no gospel of change. Like we've told Jesus, I want the salvation. You keep the change. I'm glad you paid, but you keep the change. And now all of a sudden I thought when I was growing up in church, you had to be saved from things. There were actually sins that you were saved from. Right? Like I can list some if you want to get really uncomfortable. But like lying was a sin and sleeping around was a sin. Adultery was a sin. Homosexuality was a sin. Like there were actually sins. Gossip was a sin. I wish people spread the gospel more than they spread gossip. Like, th those were sins. Nowadays, they're not. They're just issues. A person with issues doesn't need saving. A person who's drowning, they need saving. A person who's about to die, they need, if I just got a problem, I don't need saving. And I thought, here's the problem. There's no gospel of change. We're not, we're not hanging on to this. We're not, we're not being hidden in Christ and we're not living a life of righteousness. We're not changing. We're not being saved. One of the ways, I'll give you this and, and then give you two things and then I'll go. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, 1 John 3, 9 says this. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Do you know one of the ways you've been saved? It's the same way you get saved. Godly sorrow. If you can sin and there's no godly sorrow, I can help you in saying, I don't think you're saved. Because if you're saved, there is godly sorrow. When you, when you make, and we all do. I'm not saying you're going to live the rest of your life without making a mistake. But, but when John says this, he says this, um, 1 John 3, 9, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Here's what he's saying. If you can continue in sin and it doesn't affect you and it doesn't bother you and it doesn't upset you, then that, that should tell you maybe you agreed that Jesus saves, 
But I don't know that you grab hold of it, of the salvation. I don't know that you received it. Are you with me? Luke 3, 8 says this. It says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Here's how I know I've been saved. Do I produce a different kind of fruit than before I was saved? What Jesus said is a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. He said a bad tree gives you bad fruit. A good tree gives you good fruit. And then he said the bad tree is going to be cut down and thrown in the fire. So now we know this is a salvation situation. Sanctification is a being saved, have been saved, will be saved kind of situation. And here's my question is, if you, if you have come to Jesus and you have been saved, then your life looks different. Your behavior changes. Do you get it right all the time? No, 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 no. No. In fact, I can tell you, I'll tell you a story on me. This, this week, I was in a conversation, casual conversation, and I kind of made a comment. Honestly, it wasn't sin. I didn't cuss, you know. I didn't even use a Christian cuss word. Like, shoot and darn. You know, I didn't even use those. But when I said it, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you shouldn't have said that. And I was sorrowful that I'd said it. And I stopped immediately and said, God, will you please forgive me? I should not have made that comment. That was not for me to make. My, my point is, that's what it is to remain. Yeah, I realize I need to be saved. I repent. What I'm doing is not working. I need a Savior. So then I receive salvation, but then I remain like I am in Christ. And I want to produce a fruit in my life that looks like salvation produces. I, I want to produce righteousness from my life. And, and when I mess up, I, I want God. Like when I mess up, I, I want God to say, hey, hey, no, no, that's not good. That's going to separate you. That's, that's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt somebody else. This is a problem. And I want to be able to say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. So sorry. I know I'm saved. See, that's secure in Christ. But this right here, he who has this hope purifies himself, the Bible says. This is me saying, God, I am being saved. I've been saved, but I want to be saved. I thank you that you are saving me. And most of the time, you're saving me from me. And so that's the question that I want to ask. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And I really ask if you don't have to move around, like it's take, take like two minutes, but if you don't have to move around and exit and all that, if you could just hold steady with me, I really would appreciate that. Now I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'll go ahead and come down and just kind of take your place. And, and I just want to do this. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you need to be saved, I'm going to ask you the same question we started with. Same question I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me. Have you been saved? I'm not asking if you've been to church. I'm not asking if you have a belief system. I said, have you been saved? Did you realize? Did you repent? Did you receive? Did you remain? Did you realize? Did you repent? Did you receive? Did you remain? Have you been saved? Now, the only reason I think God would ask me to preach this message is there's probably some people who need to hear it. And what I'm going to tell you is we're going to give you an opportunity to come to the front if you need to be saved. And yeah, we're going to tell you to come to the front. Don't sneak out of here and think you're going to be a secret agent. It's not how it works. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. That's the words of Jesus, right? What I'm saying, take the opportunity today. Like, I feel so burdened about this. Take the, I, well, I've been in church 30 years. I'm not asking how long you've been in church. I'm not asking if granny took you to church or mama took you to church or if granny prayed or mama prayed. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you ever sang a worship song. I'm not asking if you follow elevation worship on your Spotify. I'm not asking you that. I'm saying, have you been saved? Is there fruit of it? Is there evidence of it? Are you remaining? Did you receive? Or are you remaining? So, Father, right now, I just thank you for your word, God. I thank you, God, for, for this moment. 
And God, I pray that any person in this room or online who needs to be saved, God, maybe they've examined themselves today and they're like, you know what? I have a form of godliness. I have a form of religion. I don't think I've been saved. Holy Spirit, I ask in this moment you would do your work and draw every person to you. Draw every person to you. Draw every person to you. Lord, that no one will be able to leave if they're not right with you, if they have not been saved. Here's what I ask right now. I'm, I'm going to dismiss us, but if you need to be saved, we're going to keep it quiet, right? But I want you to come forward. And I want you to come forward. I want you to swim upstream in all the traffic and come forward and say, hey, I need prayer. All right? So this is my invitation. If you need to accept Christ, like to really be saved, I want you to come. Everyone else, God bless you. You can, if you'll respectfully kind of ease out and get your kids. But if you need to be saved, you don't leave this room. You come forward and let us pray for you. I love you. God bless you. And I'll see you next weekend.